Chapter 62 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 62 Haste to the Wedding. Things were not going very smoothly now with Mr. Donovan Bullrag. Three of the four months allowed him by his father had passed already, yet no date was fixed, or seemed likely to be fixed, for the great event which was to make a wealthy man of him. The old man was urgent and could not be brought to postpone the revenge to the convenience of his son, for he had learned already that this chip of the old block was of a grain quite as crooked and cross-fibred as his own. His violent and vindictive heart was burning for the day when he should trample on the pride of the woman who had been his ruin, and had married again and lived in luxury while putrid fish was his diet. Neither was revenge his only motive, some provision must be made for him, something better than two pounds a week in a wretched den in London, as soon as ever he chose to apply to his aged father's men of business, and this he could not do without upsetting all his plans until he had revealed himself to that haughty woman. If you choose to make your own son a beggar and to turn your daughters into the streets, you must. That is all I can say. I can do no more. I lost a lot of money today all through you. I should never have invested sixpence, but for you. It does seem a little too hard upon a fellow when he is doing all he knows to please a man who never helped him. It was on the night of the Derby Day, and father and son were holding their usual weekly interview in the Green Park. The older man was much better dressed and cleaner than he had been, but the other kept at a prudent distance and took care to smoke throughout the time. He had looked into books and found that the disorder is sometimes contagious and sometimes not. "'Whose fault is it that I have never helped you?' the cripple asked disdainfully. "'Don't walk so fast. My feet are not like yours. You make me even pay for my cab both ways. I came to please you. You shall pay for my cab, and you shall pay for it a little further, too. I demand to be established on the premises.' You have plenty of room, and as you said once, it can be done without any one the wiser. How can I tell that she won't run away the moment you are married? And I want to be where I can see my daughters. In a lonely, rambling, ramshackle house like that, you could put me up easily. Why, I saw the very place when I went round there after dark. Whoever goes near the captain's workshops. Three of them quite away from all the other rooms. I only want one, and I will have it. It would save me ten shillings a week as well as cab fare. They won't take me anywhere in the vilest den for less than that, when they see what I am. Christian country, isn't it? Why, the Pulcho Indians are better Christians than you are. Get that room ready by this day week. If I do, you must give me another month's grace. It will be a terrible risk to take. Everyone watches us so about there. We have gained such a reputation." "'And I shall increase it, my son, as soon as known. "'Your mother never cared what was thought of her by anyone. "'She will now have a fine case to defy the public with. "'I will go into that room this day week. "'My goods are not as manifold as they were. "'I had twelve horses at my command at San Luis. "'Ah, we all have our ups and downs. "'I am on the upscale now.' "'Downey was very loath to receive his father so.' He knew that it might be done safely enough if the old man would only be cautious and discreet. But that was the very point he was sure to fail in. 
He would have been a great man by this time, perhaps a dictator of three sprawling states, if his prudence had been equal to his strong will and valor. Some day his history may be written, and if it should be done with any skill, the reader will be likely to conclude that he has come across yet another instance of good material thrown away. I don't like it, said the dutiful son. Why can't you stay where you are till it is over? That is to say, his own wedding day. Because I believe that you will make her bolt. At least nobody can make her do anything unless she chooses. But if she heard of me, she would bolt like a shot, and a nice fool I should be after that. It is no good arguing. In I go this day week, or else I leave my card at the front door. Donovan Bullrag contended vainly. His father was as stubborn as himself and a hundredfold as reckless. What had this afflicted mortal to be afraid of now? His sense of paternity must have been strong in the staple of his nature something better than hardware. That he should have lain still so long in his misery, poverty, and ignominy, rather than assert himself and shock the public and destroy his son's last hope of high position. Downey showed more than his usual craft in this difficult crisis of his fortunes. He extorted from his father before he let him in a pledge that he would keep himself out of sight and never move without his leave for at least another month. The room in which he stored him was cold and dark and damp and entirely out of view from all the people of the house, yet quite like a palace to the poor old man after all the low dens he had been lurking in. He was smuggled in at night, and had to wait upon himself, receiving all his food from his son's hands alone. The window had been fitted with dark wooden blinds for some of the professor's experiments, and the obscurity was deepened by the great ilex tree. The Earl of Clarenhouse, though one of the wealthiest men of the day, lived a very quiet life. His health was not strong, and he hated all display, and had no turn for sporting or gambling or politics or any other form of noise and push. He cared not for books or art or agriculture or women or the drama or the pleasures of the table. He was satisfied to take the world as he found it and to keep himself out of it whenever he could. Not for the sake of saving money, for no one could charge him with avarice. And when he saw good to be done, he did it in the most generous and even lavish style. The few who knew him intimately loved him deeply for his gentleness, simplicity, and goodwill and often it was said of him, and not untruly, that he had never spoken harshly to any human being. His father had been a great city man, keen, energetic, and enterprising, but though the present earl retained his interest in great houses founded by his father, he never concerned himself about the money market and entered into no speculations. The one ray of romance in his quiet life had fallen across it when he was quite young, when the bright sons of Sunbury were in their zenith, he had been dazzled and smitten for a while by the luster of Miss Monica. Happily for him, his suit was vain. He had too little go in him to suit her taste, and he married a lady better fitted for him, who left him a widower with one daughter. But the arrogant beauty retained and asserted, when it became of importance to her, a certain strange influence upon his tranquil mind. He had never liked Donovan Bullrag and shrank from entrusting his treasure to him, for his daughter Clara was the treasure of his life, the only object for which he cared to preserve his feeble vitality. 
Lady Clara, now in her twentieth year, resembled her father almost too closely. She was gentle, simple, and unpretending, apt to think the best of everybody, and to yield to a will more robust than her own. She was likely to make a most admirable wife for a strong and good man, who would cherish her, but with a coarse, unfeeling husband she was certain to pine away and die, for her mind was very sensitive and her constitution weak. Seeing little of the world and knowing less about it, this graceful and elegant girl had been induced, partly by the mother's heroic commendations, to fix her affections upon Downy Bullrag. How any girl could like that fellow, it is hard to say. There was something so disgusting in his countenance to me, and his slow, deliberate, sarcastic speech, as if he thought over every word he uttered and passed it through his mind to make it nasty. However, she considered him a hero, and so he was, a hero of cold cunning and hot wickedness. "'You have it him, and I will have it her,' said this hero to his mother as they drove to Berkeley Square. "'It can't go on like this. Why, I scarcely dare go out. Why, the fellows of the fantail were talking all about me when I dropped in for an hour last night. I knew it by the way they began about the weather.' and that ass of a grogan whispered, Hush, here he is. I shall tell her I am off to Nova Zembla next week, and you lay it on thick about what Dr. Medley said. Work the old muff upon that tack, and about the feeble heart action and the nervous system and all that stuff, but let me have the little doll all to myself. Mrs. Fairthorne sighed, for she had quick perception, and some good behind all her badness. "'I fear that the little doll is too good for you,' she answered, and he smiled at her. "'How they managed it matters little, but they thought they had managed it rarely well. "'No doubt they told lies pat as puddings and plentiful as blackberries. "'The Lord, who settles all things well, as we sometimes find out in the end, "'allowed them this little bit of triumph to increase their discomfiture. "'But after all I have no ill-will.' and am sorry that they had so much. "'How beautifully everything has gone off, Don,' said the lady when she had settled her stately form in the watered silk again. "'You see what a little tack can do. I put it as a favor to that poor thing. The objections have come from those wretched lawyers. The poor earl would not hear a word about the money. I can't think what I have been about, not to take the bull by the horns long ago.' but the fault was yours. I could never trust you. Well, I was never more pleased in my life. It will be in the morning post tomorrow. Did you see how the poor earl looked at me? I can wind him round my finger. The professor may go to the bottom with his trawl, and then who knows what might happen. Donovan spoke with a bitter smile. He had never entirely forgiven his mother for her second marriage. "'Don't be so shocking, Don. I am ashamed of you. "'Well, a month is not very long to wait, "'and there is a great deal to see to. "'Fizzy and Jerry will be bridesmaids, of course, "'and I must not be quite a dowdy. "'How that pest of a Dulcamara will kowtow! "'She threatened me with a queen's bench yesterday. "'I am not sure that I shall give her any order. "'I should like to break her heart, and I know how to do it.' If I put the whole into Madame Freepree's hands, Dulcamara would never look up again. But her cut is so inferior to Dulcamara's. Well, I need not make my mind up until tomorrow. 
I think you had better keep the whole thing quiet and pull it off without any fuss at all. The Earl hates pomps and vanities, and so does Clara, and so do I. We had better have no humbug. And be married at a registry office, I suppose. None of that mean shabby work for me. Everything shall be left in my hands, and I'll see that things are done properly. If it was only to vex your Aunt Arabella, after her trumpery rudeness to you, I should insist upon decency and comfort. I know how to cut her to the heart, and I intend to do it. The very day before the wedding I shall write, Dearest Arabella, we have been disappointed at the last moment by the dear Duchess of Coventry. Her grace is afflicted with a bilious attack. Would you mind taking her place tomorrow and excuse the brevity of this invitation? I should like to see her passionate face when she gets that. Don't be a fool, mother. You know, after all, you and I are the proper heirs to her estates, though she can dispose of them as she likes. She dislikes us, but she is an upright woman. It would be mad to offend her fatally. She has cheated me out of house and land. There is no primogeniture among women. I simply did the thing she was going to do. She has rolled in money and let me roll in the dirt. None of her posthumous benevolence for me. You will never see me groveling at that woman's feet. At the rehearsal of her wrongs, her violent temper rose and swelled as a dog's wrath waxes with its own bark. She stood up in the carriage and crushed her headdress. This doubled her fury, and she turned upon her son. "'And you! I should like to know what you are doing in my house! My house, if you please, not yours! You think I know nothing about it, do you? No more of it! From this very hour you drop your disgraceful bachelor ways, or I fetch the police and rout out those rooms. Now remember what I say. When I say a thing, I do it.' "'You are altogether wrong. There is nothing of the sort.' Downey answered in a stern voice that cowed her. "'To the last day of your life you will repent it if you dare go meddling there.' "'Dare is not a word to use to me,' she answered in a sullen tone and closed her lips. If she feared anyone in the world, she feared her own son Donovan. The difference between her will and his was that between a torrent and the sea, hers was force and his was power.' Sometimes she was sorry for her haste and fury, but in him there was no repentance. He left her to herself and said no more. In one thing they were much alike. Neither of them had great faith in words, whether used to them or by them. Having little faith in what they heard, they expected little for what they said. It was no affront to either of them, but an act of justice, to doubt every word of their mouths, because their mouths were wells of leasing. "'You'll have to clear out, poor old chap,' said Downey that night to his father, whom he now regarded with rough affection as well as fitful pity. "'All settled now about you-know-what. In three weeks or so I shall have to slope. Who would bring you your grub but your dutiful son? What is it about the ravens? And worse than that, she has smoked you already. In spite of all pledges, you have been out at night. Who could stay mewed up night and day?' Let her smoke what she likes. I have got a pipeful for her. Yes, and for me and yourself, too. Bedlam or hospital or workhouse for us all if she finds you here before the job is done. And after that, have it out when you like. No dutiful son interferes between his parents. If this is broken off, there will be no shilling left for you to have sixpence out of. 
it may fairly be hoped that he had some other plan, though as yet he durst not mention it, for saving them both from the awful meeting of which he spoke so lightly. How am I to know that it is settled even now? You have put me off so many times. I might as well be in the Simon Pure again. I will show it you tomorrow in the paper, announced for an early day, and it needs to be an early one. Sorry to doubt you. Not at all a truthful family. Three weeks more, my son, and that's every hour. Let her come spying if she likes. She never could keep her nose out of anything, or perhaps I shouldn't be quite as I am. I am sorry for my lady. I only hope the pleasure will be mutual. End of chapter 62